Welcome to Retro Enjoy your voyage. Welcome to Retro Groove. I'm Adam. And I'm Liam. And this is a podcast where we talk about music that stands the test of time. Welcome to episode two of our second season. And today we have kind of an, an experiment. We're, we're experimenting a little bit with a wider uh, purview, if you want to call it that. Um, Liam and I were talking and thought it was finally time to delve into the wonderful world of progressive rock. Yeah, we're going to get progressive with the podcast. Yeah, we're going progressive. Um, this is this is a broad topic. We've got a lot to talk about. There's a lot to cover here. And just just right out front here, I'll just put it out there as a caveat that there's no way that we're going to be able to talk about every artist that deserves to be talked about. No. It's, it's just not possible. Um, but we're, we're going to do as much as we can. We're going to hit as many corners of this uh, incredible, sometimes misunderstood genre of music, sometimes hard to uh, define uh, genre, but yeah, um, you know, Musical subgenres are always very fluid and, uh, you know, there's, there's no hard lines anywhere with these, you know, you, you want to call it rock. Okay. It's definitely rock, but like what subgenre and then what, you know, branching, uh, splinter of that subgenre is this particular band. And it's like, it gets yeah. really, you know, you're splitting hairs at that point. Yeah. Uh, and it's also definitely like sort of out of my wheelhouse a bit. I mean, I have my uh, I think all of us have had some sort of engagement with the subgenre or some songs and artists within it. But it's not uh, it's not something that I was ever heavily into growing up. Um, I've come to appreciate a bunch of it now as I'm older, which I mm-hmm. think is kind of a natural thing to do with music like this. But being a dad um, helps. Yeah. <laughs> and I think just like having broader perspective and like right. not being hung up on a love song so much. And so I can hear lyrics and themes about other things because I'm right. not just yearning. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, I think I think like it's a cool thing to delve into now because I think I'm at a better place where I can be more receptive to it. So I'm almost kind of learning a bunch of stuff. As go. we go here. So that's cool. Yeah, well, um, there's a lot to learn for sure. Yeah. But what's cooking with on. you? Nothing too much. Just trying to just soak every last bit of fun out of this summer. Summer is kind of um, drawing to a close very quickly here. You know, school will be starting up very soon here uh, within the next week. Yeah. Oh, um, 
yeah, it's it's different here um, than what I remember it being on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, you know, back back east, it's usually not until like after Labor Day. Yeah, we're waiting right? till Labor Day for sure. Yeah. So so they're going back this coming week. Um, and it's, you know, out out had a nice birthday party with my oldest uh, out at the pool. And uh, I was just, you know, looking around at the water and the sunshine and, you know, kicking back and enjoying some drinks and just like, man, this this summer is almost over. And I'm a big, you know, my birthday's in the summer. I'm mm. a big summer vibes kind of guy. We did our beach yeah. trip and everything. And, you know, there's a little bit of there was a there was a tinge of melancholy uh, for me with it being like, oh, this is probably like the last big, you know, summertime hurrah for this year. Um but you know, every, everything is cyclical and all good things must come to an end. And you know, fall yeah. is coming. They've already got the uh Halloween uh stuff <laughs> at a lot of the oh, popular geez. retailers. Yeah. 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 My my daughter wanted to go to Bath and Body Works and they had all of the Halloween and fall themed candles and everything out. And I was like, oh man, here we go. <laughs> Before <laughs> you know it, everything spice. is gonna be pumpkin spice and which I don't mind, but it's not my favorite thing. Sure. Um Halloween's fun, but um yeah I'm I'm not a huge like fall person myself. I'm a I'm a summertime person and I love winter. I love Christmas. So it's it's but like fall I'm like mm, it's fine. You know, it yeah. gets us closer to the holidays, so I'm I'm cool with that part of it. But you know, you can you can leave the pumpkin spice <laughs> where it is. Sure. What about you? <laughs> uh, I'm doing the same. I am. Uh, I'm hitting the beach a bunch. Uh, I have been trying to get into a routine whenever I have the time in the morning. Just grab a coffee and something, and go down to the beach and. Yeah. read or, or or vibe or whatever and i had this moment the other day i've got this like book that i've been reading um just kind of like really good perspective book fun, like being present just trying to like work through mental stuff and i'm, I'm down at the beach and i'm like vibing mm-hmm. and there's a series of condos like over the fence from the beach that i go to um and there's one that's got this like outdoor space and it's got these like drapes and stuff across it. And sometimes mm-hmm. music wafts out from that one. And those people are living their best life, man. I mean, I'm 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 oh, for happy sure. for them. You know, they are living right there on the water. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to read and it's like Celine Dion day. Uh, <laughs> and at first I'm like. God, can you just like stop playing music? And then I'm like, God, can you just stop playing Celine Dion? And by the fifth song, I'm like, Celine Dion's got hits. Like, <laughs> like I came full around and I put my book down and I'm like, all right, I'll look at the water and I'll listen to Celine Dion. Why That's not, not so yeah. bad. You know, like Could be it's worse. all coming back to me now. Like it's just so good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm like, same same thing just good summer vibes and mm-hmm. uh an artist that i don't usually associate with that um but it worked <laughs> yeah like they like somebody played dj for me and uh and i went for the ride so there you go heck yeah take it where you can get it it's, yeah, it's good um i've been listening to a lot of different prog rock that i had never really delved into before mm-hmm 
So I don't know if you've been doing that in preparation for the episode, but like, I don't know that I've ever really just sat down and listened to like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, yeah. <laughs> like stuff like that. Um, I'm a fan of the genre, but you know, I, I really did a deep dive into uh, a lot of these albums that I recognize the name. I'd recognize the album cover, but probably never really listened to uh, other than in passing here and there. So been doing a lot of that and uh, I'm excited to dig into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, again, like I, I didn't spend a ton of time listening to it back in the day. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure uh, if you can kind of track your exposure points or whatever, but thinking about it leading up to this, I mean, I remember my dad loved Yes. He mm -hmm. had like a four CD box set of Yes that I just thought was the lamest thing ever. And I didn't want anything <laughs> to do with it. Um, my mom was very into uh, the Moody Blues, which yep. is like on that 60s tip of that orchestral, really like intricate arrangement mm -hmm. uh, coming into this prog space. Um, and then she like she kind of bookended. She liked like the the Beach Boys, Moody Blues, like that late sixties, and then she liked Super Tramp, like that go. like pop, nice. but like them post Prague, like into their more Breakfast in America, pro like where they found their kind of pop sensibility. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting. Like I, as I looked at it, like I was exposed to all these different points of it, but I never. Um, like it was never uh, a thing that was just played around the house. We're not that cerebral of a family. I think my, <laughs> my dad's a guitarist. So I think he just appreciated sort of the like skill and intricacy of oh, some of sure. the prog stuff. I know he likes ELP, um, but I can't say that I ever like listened to it a bunch. Um, right. The one, the one thing that I definitely remember though is had this friend that I got to, uh, I, I got chummy with in high school and he and I would have this back and forth. I was like really getting into Metallica at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just thought that they were the coolest, most badass dudes. And he was so, so into dream theater. Like that's all he could talk about when we talked about music was just oh, everything, man. everything. And it just made me hate them so much. He like, <laughs> he created this point of contention of just like how enlightened dream theater is and how they are the best, oh. like hard rock prog metal band or whatever you want to call them. And I would just be like, well, this is stupid, so okay. I'm not going to listen to it. <laughs> okay. Just not going to hear it, you know. Yes, and, uh, and I haven't gone to it yet. Like yeah. I don't. I've never really spent time listening to them. I've heard songs; they're really good, but it just, yeah. A zealot know, can certainly ruin a good thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do you have a gauge on how you were exposed to this kind of? I mean, kind of, kind of similar. We're we're roughly the same age anyway. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's so funny because, like, yeah, my dad had. Yes records and my mom had Moody Blues records. You know what I mean? That's Amazing. dad's love. Yes, and yeah. mom's love Moody Blues. Nights um, in white satin. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> and I think it was also more so uh, my my aunt who lived near us and was almost like a second mother to me. I spent a lot of time over there. Um, she was like my mom liked the Moody Blues and had one or two of her records. My aunt was obsessed with the Moody Blues. Oh, uh, okay. So, you know, she she was a little bit more 
um, you know, retained a lot of, this was the early eighties for those that don't know. And, um, she retained a lot more of that, the flower child mm-hmm. part of herself. You know what I mean? My mom just kind of, you know, had kids and, and grew got up into that mode. Yeah. I grew yeah. up a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, my, 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 I don't know for whatever reason, you know, they, they never had kids. So that was a little bit more of a reason why, you know, her, her first, you know, nephew, um, you know, I got a lot of attention from her and, but she never had kids. So she was very, um, you know, pie in the sky, utopian. Like I, I have this one amazing memory of her, where, you know, I was playing with my G.I. Joe figures at her house mm-hmm. and like, you know, obviously had like a tank or one of their vehicles and they were all like killing each other. And, <laughs> you know, she she walked in the room where I was playing on like the, the shag carpet or whatever. And she was like, no, no, see, look, we can play like this. And she like took the guns out of their hands and sat them down and was like, now, see, they're all in church. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. She was very, wow. yeah, it was a great memory. Um, but that was just her personality. And so yeah. very, you know, peace and love and um, you know, everything can be beautiful and and is beautiful if you put the right perspective on it. So she opened my eyes to a lot of that that kind of um music that would just to me it was just kind of background noise while I was um, over there at my aunt and uncle's house, but, mm-hmm. um, that ended up becoming somewhat of a soundtrack to a good portion of my childhood. So, um, you know, there are still kind of vignettes and portions of songs that, um, pop into my head that, that I couldn't point out what album they're from, or even if it's necessarily the moody blues or who it is, but, you know, I know it's of that, um, that ilk, and uh so that that was kind of ingrained in me at a very early age mm-hmm. and then my dad had a lot of the more um pop leaning progressive stuff and you know boston stuff like that kind of oh yeah. yeah um but electric light orchestra of course for sure um, so he had a lot of that kind of stuff and, mm-hmm. um, you know, him and like my godfather were, uh, uh, trumpet players. So they had a lot of like the Chicago, uh, Chuck Mangione. And of course that's kind of leaning a little bit jazz, but, um, that's in there though. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, yeah. what was the other one? Chase, um, stuff like that. And so that was all, you know, played around the house and, uh, on the record player. And when I discovered music and would be like, you know, you know, my parents had moved on to tapes. So I would go through the records and be like, cool, these are mine now. And, uh, (laughs) I I was really just getting into a lot of that stuff. So, uh, there, there was definitely some influence there on, you know, both sides that I can point back to as some early, early, um, you know, the roots of my interest in, in the progressive side of rock music. Um, yeah. Do you, do you feel worse. like, <laughs> do you feel like the, um, the aunt and uncle side of things where you said like they kind of held on to that moon child peace and love? Yeah. A little like, bit. Mm-hmm. Like, cause we're, when we're talking about 
Moody Blues and and we should talk Beatles and and, and Beach Boys. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. that the Beach Boys. Yeah, I was going to like that era there is kind of the crossroads where you go from to either psych or prog, I think, which yeah. is something to dig into, but um do you get the feeling that they were more in that like psych open-minded space or more so in that like proggy like listen to the instrumentalism listen to like (laughs) the horn doing this thing listen to this this like touch point or sample or something you know like i feel like it's probably more in that psych space right like that kind of openness that open expressiveness maybe probably i mean so like one of my most prized physical you know, material possessions is her copy of Harvest by Neil Young uh, with, you know, her name on it and everything. Um, So it was definitely more the folk slash like early psych side of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was definitely more uh, what she was listening to. Uh, my uncle hated music, so whatever. Like, okay, yeah, <laughs> we don't not like in the anyway. conversation. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean that's interesting. Like, that's you see the psych and the folk kind of get mixed up, and that's not what we're going to be talking about today, right? Like, that is the way that right. a lot of things went. Like, when you look at Fleetwood Mac or anything like that, like For Grateful sure. Dead, sure. all that stuff. Um, you had a few bands that that rode the line in different spaces, but you did have kind of psych and folk go off uh, with, you know, Crosby stills. Like they sure. all just went off and did their yep. stuff. And then you had this um, this intricacy that kind yeah. of stemmed from it all. But we're we're pulling it back to Sergeant Pepper. We're yes. pulling it back to Pet Sounds, right? Mm-hmm. We're pulling it back to when you had the pop sensibility um, and this like consumerism that flared up around digestible pop songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have those same artists who are household names for digestible pop songs who want to do something different. They're getting right. exposed to jazz. They're getting exposed to world music. They're hearing things all over the place and they want to do something that's not just write a catchy song about a girl, exactly. you know? Um, yeah, and, and so they, they look to build something bigger and we get these albums that are game changers and yes. go on to influence all the others. Right. Absolutely. And like, you know, you hear Paul McCartney talk about it, you know, they, they got bored of the formula, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Playing as often as they played all over the world and uh writing songs and and recording albums and it's just like after a while uh particularly as relatively simple as that work was as good as it was uh Mm -hmm. it was just simple uh you know teenagers could learn it and play it um you get bored after a while yeah and you know, the, with them traveling all over the world, you know, with, you know, the, the influence of, you know, Eastern philosophy a little bit mm-hmm. in there, you know, them wanting to kind of experiment and um, experimenting with the more orchestral side of things. Uh, they wanted to start recording this way and writing songs with these new ideas. Um, you know, and you can't, 
I think it, there is something to say about, okay, obviously they were experimenting with some psychotropic drugs. Yeah. And Lots. that, that you, you can't talk about it without at least mentioning that that probably had to have somewhat of a hand in their desire to just kind of expand things out right. beyond, you know, the immediacy of what yeah. they were initially doing. Yeah. Um, so, but neither here nor there with or without that, they wanted to branch out and experiment and try new things. And the other side of that is the, the technical side or mm-hmm. the, the technological side, I should say, where um, recording this, this kind of music going into um, pet sounds and beyond and Sergeant peppers and beyond, you know, there was a time not too long before this, where you would literally set up two or three microphones in a room and okay, go. And that was it. it. Whatever was, yep. you know what I mean? There was no overdubs, multi-tracking, uh, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was played in that immediate, you know, whatever, however long the song is, that's what the song was and that's it. But as the technology advanced and you had things like, you know, multi-tracking, um, you know, don't want to get too technical, but being able to record something and then take that recorded piece of music and then go back and play something else over it or intersect multiple recorded pieces of music together, that technology was becoming available. Yeah. And so it it's almost like the technology allowed this new form of music to happen. Um, yeah. Cause it honestly, a lot of what you hear on those uh, particularly as you get into the seventies, that wouldn't have even technically been possible. It just wouldn't not without just some kind of crazy setup with a bunch of different microphones and, you know, a a rotating stage of musicians. It it just wouldn't really be feasible or possible. Yeah. Um, And you, you look at the, the culture of the moment and the, the sort of trajectory of like liberation, free thought, experimentation it was pervasive Mm -hmm. at the time and so you have this like soil you know you have this like garden that's ready for it you have the tools of the technology that you're talking about you have the mellotron you have these synthesizers that are running tapes and you can do sampling in real time and you can perform that live um and then you have the intentionality then that comes along to go in these different directions um the beatles choosing to make a sergeant pepper kind of opens the door then for other people, other musicians to say, oh, well, if they can do that, if the, if the Beatles that I know can be this, then what can I be? What I right. can, I can go do something else. I can take my skills at the bassoon and, right. and do a yeah. thing, you know, like, and if you have bassoon in, in on your album in the seventies, you're a prog rock band. That's how, you know, <laughs> there yeah. you go. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, um, go ahead. I was just going to say, so, uh, we talked a little bit about like psych and yeah. Prague and, and where they stand. I mean, I think, do we want to, it's hard to define. Do we want to kind of talk about what we think defines what Prague rock was? Because Prague rock has become 
at times uh, a dirty word. It's not yeah. what the artists <laughs> ultimately want to be identified as, right. um, which happens every so often in music when something gets typified. I mean, alternative music has been the alternate for decades now. Is it still an alternate? Is it still right. indie? You know, is it still emo? I don't know. Right. Um, right. So, so Prague, like to you, is there something that defines what prog rock is i mean it's funny so we we put the question out uh on the discord and on twitter like what's your favorite prog rock group and why and you know dan uh you know innocently and and you know can't blame him uh asked well can we define prog rock Mm -hmm. and my my half joking response was the only person that can define prog rock for you is yourself yeah that's amazing (laughs) i mean yeah so, but like, okay, it's, it's progressive rock. It's yeah. taking the rock music formula and moving it beyond the four walls of the, you know, four on the floor, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four timing and right. the same time signature throughout the whole song and talking about a pretty girl that you wanted and had and then lost, you know what I mean? Going beyond mm-hmm that narratively and going beyond what would be normally expected sonically and moving into something bigger, grander, um, you know, also with instruments, like you mentioned, um, bringing other instruments into the group um, to create a different kind of sound and just doing something different, moving something into a more, um, trying not to use the word progressive, but a more um, open-minded space Mm -hmm. maybe um, where anything is possible. You can tell larger stories. You can have the entire B side of your album be just a a 19 minute song. You can do that. (laughs) And they did. They did. (laughs) Uh, It's not a bad song either. So, I mean, you saw Pink Floyd do it. Yes, did it. I mean, um, and again, that also comes down to the the technological advancements. You know, you couldn't probably have a 19-minute song uh, a decade earlier. Yeah. So it was just a, a perfect storm with the technological, the political climate, the, the desire for something bigger, something more. Um, I think that also defines it as a very... Um, if not a specific sound, then at least, at least a specific vision. And that vision is just like bringing, bringing rock music into something more than people initially thought it could be. I think that's what it need needs to be or needed to be. I think, um, the flexibility of it could and would lend itself best to the format or the subgenre. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that part of the problem, and you know, we make a habit of making sure that we're not gatekeeping, that we're not judging, that we're right. we're we're open to everybody's understanding and interpretation because that's the nature of art. Um, but that inclination to define things kind of. Uh, will does wind up being counterproductive to this format in general because when you look at pink floyd they don't tick the boxes you know like they do have the vision they have the experimentation they have this uh the story to tell or a a purpose to their music but 
you don't have a lot of time change shifts. You don't have the right. virtuosity of these elaborate, uh, you know, key guitar parts, whatnot. Like there's sampling, there's really well orchestrated um, music as far as like how they're piecing it together. They have something they want to say and it's very different, but, mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it's the reason that you joked earlier, like it's the reason uh, it's off mic, but you joked that some albums come when you buy a turntable. And I think dark side, (laughs) dark side of the moon is that right. We talked about that on one of our previous episodes. It's one of the greatest selling albums of all time. Yes. Um, You're not going to see that with just any quote unquote prog album, because there's something else there to it. And it doesn't have the pretension that I think certain artists that we'll delve into wind up having. Um, The the nature of feeling like uh, you are in on the vision, right? You, you're, you, that you're hearing something in the music that is, is being intended um, gives, there's a feeling of exclusivity. Like you're Mm -hmm. seeing things that others aren't, um, and it starts to work against some of these other artists. Whereas when you look at the psych space, it's really about the experience and not as much. It's kind of like what you are feeling to the music as opposed to what you're learning mm. or taking away from what you're hearing, I guess. It, it sounds almost the same. Um, but the easiest way that I've kind of defined it to myself is I see psych as having more focus on that improvisation right it's like Mm -hmm. um the the playing is still very intricate and very technical and very impressive but um it it can shift it 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 kind of goes with the feeling which does have uh at least certain jazz standards to it um but prog is calculated Prague has its its careful composition. Um, It it there's not a whole lot of room for changing what you're doing while in the moment on stage because there's a reason why you wrote the song uh, that you wrote the notes the way that you did. Certainly less improv improvisational in uh, in nature, and you know there's a reason why it gave birth to more modern subgenres like math rock where mm-hmm. you know y- you can't really improvise because it's so exact and precise. Yeah. Um so that makes sense. That's a good um <clears throat> uh little divider there. Yeah. Where you know the psych and prog rock might be two sides of the same coin but you know and there may be some crossover there but I think that pretty much puts at least somewhat of a cap on it to where we can say, okay, Pink Floyd. It's, it's funny too. And as I'm saying this, I'm remembering like in some of my discovery phase of, okay, what are some, what are some prog rock groups that I haven't really listened to or that I might not even really be aware of. So I, I was driving and I just go, uh, I, you know, flipped on the, the button to pull up Siri. Mm. And I said, I said, play prog rock radio. And the first song that came up was off of Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, wow. <laughs> it just started playing some Pink Floyd, which, yeah. of course, it's like, you know, 
it's 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 Apple Music. You know what I mean? They're yeah. not gonna know what's real prog rock, but it's it's just indicative of I think what a lot of people think it is. Yeah, I mean it um, all it all flies in the face, or like two sides of the coin is a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, it all tends to fly in the face uh, more so the prog space of the sort of blues core, uh, mm-hmm. the almost like American core of uh, a lot of rock music. You see a lot of that because Led Zeppelin's another one where there's a lot of progressive things that are going on there, but mm-hmm. there's a, there's a blues backbone to that band. Yeah. There's a blues backbone to the stones. Exactly. Like, and blues, you know, again, they, some of those bands will go on to have a greater scope and a story and they can use the, the blues structure to build their rock opus. Um, but for the most part, the, the, the basis of the blues is heartache, unrequited love. Yeah. You know, it's, yep. it's those, it's just give getting out those sad songs or those love songs. Um, so Prague is more Euro. Prague is more, grounded in classical it's really Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. less lyrical it's more about uh the expression the concept the social commentary um Mm -hmm. i mean we'll get into a bunch of these but like genesis for me um you know i i've come to love peter gabriel it from his 80s pop success into the 90s, but then going back to his early yeah, albums with back. Genesis, and you can kind of see mm-hmm. where everything came from. Um, I, Genesis is one of those perfect things. Of, it's just like, that was just going to be, he's just making art. He's just looking for right. some kind of, he, he just had stuff he wanted to get out, and he was working it out on stage with, with these guys. And, and yep. when it didn't work for him anymore, he left. They had brought this, you know, regular guy who wasn't an art school student like the other guys were, you know, like <laughs> he just Phil Collins comes in. He's a drummer. He's just a good drummer. Uh, and he takes the helm of the band and takes them on into the 80s and transforms it into something else. Um, but Peter Gabriel's era of Genesis is is probably like, Again, as I'm older now and starting to find this stuff, um, those first few albums that he's on, I- I'm having a great time. Like it yeah. feels it like I f- like I feel like I just want to listen to Foxtrot like on repeat and get an idea of like what he's talking about. I feel like it's so rich. There's so much there. He's got a lot that he's trying to get across. Yes. Um and uh and that's kind of exciting, you know? Like I-, I love a good three minute love song, but like an eight minute, like calculated piece, uh, you know, it gives me something to dig into. Yeah. Yeah. There's so a three minute love song can tell you a story that, you know, you could probably identify with or mm-hmm. point to certain things in your life that remind you about it. But, you know, an, an eight to 10 minute, prog rock movement could paint an entire picture of a life start to finish and the village where this took place on the planet that we've never heard of before. You know what I mean? But the, (laughs) and it's all sonic in nature. Like it's painting these pictures with 
instruments and not even necessarily so much uh, lyrically, which some bands do and some bands don't. There's yeah. there's certainly more instrumental uh, prog rock groups and and some that have plenty of of vocals. Um, so I think we've we've defined it maybe mm-hmm. as as well as you kind of can. <laughs> yeah. Um, you could go more restrictive with it, but I don't think there's any reason to. And then you just start to at that point you're splitting hairs. Yeah. So, and then so off mic, you made another comment, another joke mm-hmm. about uh in the court of the Crimson King, which yes. at most people point to, I think is like the the genre defining catalyst like like one of the the core yeah uh, it's one of them for sure pillars of what this format is and and you had joked that that's another one that comes with a turntable when you buy it yeah (laughs) i would i would counter that it's it it's one that someone uh, often inherits from an uncle or a father (laughs) or someone. I feel like it is one of the most handed down passed along. It's just got this cultish connection to it where it's just like, Oh my God, you got to hear this. You know, I feel like anytime I've uh, inherited a record collection, I I mean like not every time, but nine times out of 10, it's got this album in it, you know, like everybody just had this album because I think it was such a dramatic shift. It was just like something that nobody had ever heard before. Right. Um, But I don't, I hadn't spent too much time with it, honestly. Like it sat on my shelves and I listened Mm -hmm. to it once or twice. Um, But again, like I, I feel like it's something that requires you to sit and, ingest yes. and ruminate it's not on. passive listening music for right sure. right and i'm always like i don't have time for this like <laughs> give me it's like reading else. a book it, <laughs> it, it literally is like like you can't passively read a book while you're washing dishes or yeah. like you know what i mean like i mean it yeah you can listen to books on tape but even that is a little bit more of a wow i just aged myself really bad books on tape Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <I had> <laughs> but like it, it's it's more of a um it's it's more it's an active experience right you you could put it on in the background but it's not good background music no. because there's so much change going on you know what i mean yeah. background music is something good and steady and something predictable and and you know I think that's one thing that can also define prog rock. It's definitely not that it's constantly changing and it's, and it's not predictable. Um, you know, even, even yes songs that I've heard dozens of times, if I try to like, you know, predict what the next part is coming up and I'm like, you know, whatever, tapping my hands to the drums on the keyboard and, or on the, (laughs) on, on the steering wheel or wherever I'm at, Uh, I can't always even predict it because it's, um, you know, they know what they're doing, but it's so mathematically precise and musically precise that I'm like, I'm lost. (laughs) But it's that that's what makes it interesting. That's at least part of what makes it interesting. Yeah. Um, So, you know, you talk about Court of the Crimson King and a lot of these, um, you know, groups like Jethro Tull, um, without Brian Wilson and the Beatles, 
you don't have the foundation there with almost like the permission, you know what I mean? They kind of broke the, the glass ceiling of experimentation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course there were others were generalizing. Um, but without that, you don't really have the, oh, okay. Like they're experimenting and doing some wild things with instruments that we've never seen used before on a pop record and not only that that would be enough but these are the most popular records in the world at this point yeah so it's it's almost like okay there's a market for this not that whether or not there's a market for it means that it's important or not but the fact that it's marketable speaks to its appeal and it speaks to um you know its viability as an art form so that definitely gave way to those early early groups um to to take you know that torch and run with it uh and and run they did because then it was shoot once the 70s hit it was it was everywhere. It was, it was uh, and that there's a reason why there were millions and tens of millions of these records sold. Yeah, it was prolific too. I mean, that's the other thing that shocks me about all of this is when you pull out a band like Yes, um, mm-hmm. the scope of what they're trying to do is so impressive that you'd think, all right, well, and granted, we're coming from uh, the age where there's a two to three year album cycle for most artists although that's that's starting to change again but for a while just because of the touring nature the marketing system like whatever it is like you would have your favorite artist put out an album every two to three years that wasn't the case back in the day so it it it's not solely identifiable with this genre but with Mm -hmm. the the requirements that go into composition orchestration recording of all of this you would think maybe you'd have an off year but like there were times when yes was putting out two albums a year i mean that's insane yes was just (laughs) yeah they're just crazy yes um you know they were were... all doing the genesis was putting out multiple i mean every year from 69 to 76 you had a genesis album there were eight albums it's crazy and it's it's kind of so if it's funny if you look at it so you know, most of these bands, um, you can put Jethro Tull and King Crimson in there. Yes, you mentioned Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, Emerson, Lake and, about Emerson Lake and Palmer earlier. Um, it's like all of these bands had their debut album come out between like 68 and 70. Yeah. It was all, it was very like, there, there was very, little of this going on and then an absolute explosion of prog rock and then like you mentioned these bands that got popular like this early first wave of of progressive rock it was it was enormous and immensely popular and they didn't stop it they the the ones that got on that wave early there's so many albums coming out so close to each other and they they, yeah. they just you know they ran with the formula and um you know th- these are some of the best rock musicians um 
in history, in recorded history. It's, it's, it's amazing to listen to what they're doing on these early albums. And it could be like, you know, 68, 69. And it's, it, it, it sounds so still to me, a lot of it sounds so fresh and interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we weren't alive in the late sixties, early seventies to be part of that movement when it hit. But, you know, a lot of the guitar tones rival some of the guitar tones in, you know, uh, hard rock music to this very day. Um, the, the recording, um, techniques, you know, a lot of these albums just sound from a, from a production standpoint, uh, very crisp and clear, and you can hear every aspect of what they're doing because that's an important part of the picture that they're trying to paint. You know, you can hear every single note, every single you know tap of the drumstick on a the edge of a cymbal to uh, a a small flourish on an organ or a keyboard to you know some other instrument whether it's a a flute in a Jethro Tull song or strings in an electric light orchestra song every single aspect of that recording is easily heard and understood what it is and how it sits in the mix and and what part that plays in the song right which is incredibly impressive for that time period. Um, so all of that comes together in this art form that is in its absolute infancy. And, yeah. you know, where it's, it's almost like it, it, it's easy to see how at that time, um, you know, it, it was like, just hugely popular. It, it mm-hmm. was so huge. Um, and it, and it really just opened the floodgates of experimentation for so many bands. Um, and you know, that foundation was already laid and you know, they're, they're kind of building these structures and, you know, you get groups like rush that come in in the, in the later seventies to, mm-hmm. to carry the torch on from there. Um, but, it it starts to kind of splinter off a little bit. Um, you could argue that some of those earlier groups have a lot of similarities in how they sound. Yeah. Um, a lot of them have, you know, or the orchestral little bit of a like medieval theme going, um, the, there's a, there's somewhat of a, a, a minstrel esque quality to a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but things start to get a little bit more as interesting as it is start to get a little bit more interesting as we move forward. Yeah. I just, I see it as, um, it almost burned itself out too quickly too. I think that oh, yeah. the, the form that it took, uh, and I think that Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Robert Fripp and, and and the iterations of King Crimson, like mm-hmm. those, those are sort of standing at the epicenter of, again, like the word pretension comes to mind. I think that that's unfair. I think that it is just 
harder to it's it's a little more inaccessible or selectively accessible i think that to see some of this music live or to Mm -hmm. be at a place where you can appreciate this music there's something really special to it but i don't think that it was ever set for success uh not Mm. that music as an art form needs to be right so that i i think it i think it existed uh in its purest sense burned and then the ashes kind of scattered and created all this other stuff which is great um Mm -hmm. but you look at uh you look at david byrne coming out of that era um you look at i mean bowie like i don't know you know it's it's easier to typify a group um as a, a prog group so to speak but when you look at bowie like He's well, how can pretty, you define Bowie? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like he's he's pretty prog, but like were the Velvet Underground like they were art rock, you know? Like yeah, art rock Roxy, is kind of its own thing. Roxy music Roxy was music. proggy but had a punk glam thing to it, right? So yeah. there was like there was a lot of different things going on um and I think some of them were more uh malleable because sure. you didn't have this threshold that you had to meet of the ability to orchestrate, the ability to play the the piano or the keys or to do this thing at or this elevated oboe. level, <laughs> yeah, or the oboe, like like it it I think it prevented it from uh, evolving beyond in its own space. But I do think mm-hmm. like you're like you're teasing here. Like I think that it definitely uh, meant that it would go on to influence a ton of people. I also think though, that you have to mention the fact that there is this backlash against it. I want to say immediately, but you know, we're, we're talking almost 10 years later, ultimately, but you get Mm -hmm. to the end of the seventies and punk is almost in its, like in its core flying in the face of what Prague did. Yeah. Um, because it is just saying, no, I'm going to play three chords and you're going to listen to me. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like that's, exactly. that's, I'm, I'm undeniable and you're not better than me. And <laughs> like, for sure. like, yeah, well, yeah, it's like, I mean, anytime ahead. that there is a, uh, <clears throat> A, a subset or a subculture or whatever that gets to be as insanely popular as, as prog rock did, there's mm. going to be a counterculture movement against right. it. You know, it's just, it's, it's cyclical. It's just how hum, human nature is. Um, but but you're, it's you're hard going to it's, eventually have that happen. It's hard to then try to define rock you know like is prog rock almost like in opposition to what you would think of as rock rock is gritty rock is raw but it doesn't have to be you know it does it does kind of make me think of the versatility of this quote-unquote word rock music or words yeah like it it doesn't need to be one thing or the other it has an expansive flexibility to it. Um, Definitely. But, but the rawness of it was completely stripped away, wasn't allowed for, and it left, left this kind of gaping hole. Um, it also, I mean, prog musicians were like nerdy art 
kids, you yeah. know, like they were like classically yes. trained, like, you know, the, like it's funny whenever you, I think we've touched on this before and I think I'll keep coming back to it because it applies almost everywhere. When you think of kiss, when you think of Ozzy Osbourne, when you think of Alice Cooper, when you think mm-hmm. of the most like badass rock stars, they're not. They're just nerds. They're oh, like, yeah. you only really no, get D&D into nerds. that. Yeah, you only get into that unless you're like a, a blue collar kid who's looking to get out of his town or you're a D&D nerd who, you know, listened to his brothers or his nephew, his cousin's records and mm-hmm. uh, and was exposed to the clash like every rock star is really a nerd it's the reason why they became a rock star so that they wouldn't feel like a nerd anymore but like the prog kids kind of embraced it you know they were like oh yes they flew the flag yeah Mm -hmm. like uh and so i feel like that also spurs this glamness like you see start seeing the glam movement come out of that because it's kind of like oh no we are not gonna have the bushy beards and the the white t-shirts or whatever like we're gonna be flashy rock stars we're gonna bring it back to this kind of desirable swagger thing that uh that didn't exist there um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so we, we get through the seventies, um, the whole thing kind of starts to shift and dude, the eighties changed everything too. Like, it's just right. not, it's not <laughs> fair to just be like the eighties killed Prague because the eighties no. just shifted everything. I mean, you look at what blues rock had to go through. We've talked about ZZ top, oh, yeah. right? Aerosmith becomes this glam band, like, blues rock had its own sort of paradigm shift to accommodate right. the 80s everybody was accommodating the 80s yeah um, yes <laughs> and some come out like with their defining moments i mean like yeah. super tramp has these hits genesis i mean the phil collins era of genesis is the one that most people know if right you walk that's down the street what they're and ask known them. for exactly and the same can be said for you know bands that you could still put in that progressive category like you know sticks or Mm -hmm. kansas bands like that um you know like i mentioned earlier elo was putting out records into the 80s well into the 80s uh they never really stopped but um you know there it was just a different um set of rules so to speak that they had to play by that so that they could still retain their you know, call it arena rock or whatever you want to call it. Um, aspects of the progressive rock ethos were still there, but you know, to bring it forward into the eighties with the, you know, the different, uh, demands that fans had mm-hmm. and the changing times, it, it just had to change, um, yeah. like all things do. So, it, and it changed in a, a few different directions. You know, you mentioned the glam rock thing. Um, and there's the whole arena rock to a certain aspect um, may have influenced hair metal to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. There's some, there's virtuosity there. Um, and, you know, there's the whole birth of this subgenre of progressive metal. Oh yeah. Um that was never really 
something that I um, understood or got into very much, at least not at the time that it was popular. Um, but, but that really got started in the early eighties, uh, with, with all of this shift towards, you know, the, the eighties was all about extremes, right? Mm -hmm. And that was, that kind of defines the eighties as like, okay, you like, you like this color? Well, we're going to make it neon and day glow. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you you like drugs? We're going to create these drugs that will kill you. <laughs> the 80s was just extreme. And yeah. um, that's just one of the things that is so, um, you know, that that's just the signature stamp of, of the 80s. So yeah. these groups, whether it was, um, you know, sticks with their just massive sound and uh use of keyboards and technology to create these these off the wall ridiculous sounds and and fill arenas with mm-hmm. it or um you know the 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 progressive Kansas. metal bands yeah. that oh, yeah. would um take what what rock music and that early hard rock and that early metal did and just like you know put it on a, a bullet train to heck <laughs> it's like they, they you had to go extreme to be noticed or yeah. to stay relevant yeah and, and so I think, that that's one of the things that moved it forward quite a bit and it was the only way to get through the 80s at that point yeah and, and you had some bands so i feel like rush is the band that uh we're kind of able to sustain and curate their progness um and and really kind of bridge the gap between what prog was in the 70s like we're talking about and where it went which was into hard rock i mean they Mm -hmm. were they were one of the bands and they were the banner leader of the these bands that kind of transitioned that next generation into appreciating hard rock in an experimental virtuoso leaning space um a lot of unique orchestrations just hyper talented uh, mm-hmm. musicianship but with an aggression that you didn't see in uh in the earlier 70s and uh and then with a lot of synth in the 80s and, and yeah. i think you're right i think then you just see the appreciation uh of this kind of style of a a seven to eight minute long song that's orchestrated that's telling a story um is embraced by metal and it's embraced by hard rock uh and it's kind of shunned by everybody else all the other genres want a quick shot a a palatable pop song they're going back into this space and everything ebbs and flows obviously um because you either go that direction that metal did or you go owner of a lonely heart by yes which is like oh that's not a yes song right but it's the yes song that most people know right (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. um (laughs) so i i think uh i think that there's something to be said about how it it did actually 
survive you know like it's yes. it's it's still in existence today if you go to a metal concert you see these guys that just play incredible incredible uh guitar solos and drum solos and stuff and it's not perfect syncopation yeah like it's not crazy. improvised like so like obviously no. generalizing some bands Generally do it not. but like for the most part it is calculated like you know high level textbook execution yes. that's happening um so it's really cool it, it, to, you have you obviously what you got is these kids who were uh listening to uh this music uh or their brothers L- lps and then mm-hmm. they're interpreting it them themselves um you also have this and i know we delve into this space from time to time because of the nature of our podcast but like you also have uh speaking of technology uh, mm-hmm. and its abilities you have game composers that yeah. are also delving into this they're they're experiencing this as they're growing up and then they want to be musicians and composers themselves but they find themselves doing it in the tech space and yes. uh you think of some of the the biggest uh kind of uh, progenitors of game uh, composition, game music composition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ko- Koji Kondo, uh, who did all the great Zelda music, um, was a massive uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer fan. Yeah, huge Deep Purple fan. He was in a cover band that played that music. Oh, wow. You know, I didn't even yeah, know that. it's, it's <laughs> That's crazy, awesome. right? Um, uh, Nobuo Itsumatsu, who did all of the great Final Fantasy stuff. So yeah. I'm. I'm playing. I've never played Final Fantasy VI before. I'm about. I think really? I'm two thirds. I'm two thirds uh, of the way through it. I think uh, I'm loving it. And I, as we were getting ready for this episode, and I'm playing through it on my Game Boy, and I'm like, my God, like this is prog music. Like like the battle stuff that I'm is, going into. Yeah. It like it feels like it. And then I do a quick Google, and not only is he on record as a massive King Crimson and Genesis fan and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer fan, but mm-hmm. he also was has been in a cover band called the Black Mages, where they're yes. basically like a prog rock <laughs> cover band where they do some originals, but just do Final Fantasy covers, and they perform. Right. They have three albums, you know? It's um, amazing. And you could call that progressive metal. And yeah, a lot of that early video game music, uh, I mean, like Mega Man 2 comes to mm-hmm. mind. Uh, like when you hear these compositions played with like distorted guitar and drums, you're like, oh, this is metal. Yeah. yeah. Like they were creating a heavy metal soundtrack. They just couldn't do this. it with, yeah, with exactly. the, the, the few sound channels they had or whatever. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. And so it, it's it certainly stands to reason that these these composers using, you know, eight bit what sounds like just blips and bleeps, uh, you know, they had to be inspired by something. And that at the time, you know, this is the the late eighties, you know, the the renaissance of of gaming and this is when you have uh you mentioned king crimson but you've got bands coming up like queens and dream theater and mm-hmm. these and and again a lot of these <laughs> a lot of these uh, iron maiden and a lot of these bands yet again they're they're coming from across the pond Th- yeah. these are these are british groups primarily yeah um so and then you know you've got stuff like black metal 
coming also from Europe. So um, that that's where a lot of this is coming from. Yeah. Um, and you see that through, you know, the, they basically carry the torch of progressive rock music through almost the entirety of the 90s. Yeah, I mean, Radiohead, and again, it's a dirty word, you know, they're on record as being like when they released OK Computer, a reporter asked them like in listening to it, oh, you guys must have been influenced by early Genesis, Pink Floyd. And they were just like, oh, no, we all hate prog rock like they, <laughs> <laughs> because again like i think it, it's more the idea of prog rock and not what actually influenced them i mean they right. they had a they had a, the lead song was like six or seven minutes long or something i mean come on guys you're also yeah. you're all british art school students I, I, like, yeah and that may be the thing because you know even the even radiohead as a name came from a talking head song. I mean, come on. So they're more of the art school ilk yeah. and the art rock type thing. So um, they'll confine, which you could tell more on their earlier stuff yeah. before they yeah. started to evolve. But there's, there, there's an argument for them being progressive rock. I mean, it, ha- oh, yeah. it has to be, there's always some yeah. bleed over anyway, but um, you know, that what else do you call progressive rock in the late nineties? If you're not talking about like the heavier stuff, yeah, I mean, so for Shanti, you know, obviously Red Hot Chili Peppers are not a prog rock band, but for Shanti has cited Adrian Ballou, who was in sort of King Crimson 2.0 and played with Zappa and Talking Heads. Like, mm-hmm. like for Shanti, Tom Morello of Rage, in that experimental, more aggressive state of rock, right. um, have cited back to this prog rock space. Um, I, I feel like Muse comes to mind. Like, yeah. they're a band that just you have to. They have this kind of expansive orchestration to a lot of their music. Um, Coheed and Cambria is one to me. Like, they have movements and a story. I mean, all of oh, their albums sure. are part of a story arc. You know, right? Um, and they're def- and, definitely prog rock, a hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> them and we talked about Mars Volta too. I mean, those guys and Mars Volta, Omar has done a lot with Frashanti as well. You yeah. know, there's there's this kind of collaborative. Again, I feel like it it prevents uh, it from being as expansive, like continues to be, because you have these enlightened people or these people who just have the chops, and so mm-hmm. they all start working together and creating this amazing artistic music that is then you put it out there and it's tough to digest for a, it's the hard common to digest, folk. Like I, right. I listen to some of it and I'm like, I don't, what is this noise? I don't know. I, I, it, I don't, it, I don't yes, think I can listen it, to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know what? People said the same thing about albums like, uh, John Coltrane's, um, uh, out, you know, his more free form jazz albums mm-hmm. in the sixties. Cause it's like, you know, at first listen, I remember putting it on, I was listening to interstellar space and I was listening to it a lot, um, back in like, you know, early two thousands. And, and so were these years. artists, by the way, though. Yeah, like for sure. <laughs> yeah. And like, I put it on for, I think honestly, I put it on for my brother and he was like, how can you listen to this? This yeah. sounds like a bunch of random random noise. And I was like, no, you don't understand. It's not random noise at all. It's like, there's, 
there's movements and and patterns that are there yeah um and it's made evident by the fact that you know the one of the reasons why i got into um john coltrane's interstellar space at that time to begin with is because nels klein uh was one of my favorite guitar players and he put out uh, a, an album covering the entirety of interstellar space by John Coltrane, um, oh, wow. him and a drummer named Greg Bendian. Um, and it was just mind blowing to me. And I remember my brother just listening, like he was in, we were driving somewhere in the car and he was just like, what this is, this literally sounds like just absolute noise. Like there's <laughs> no, there's nothing here to appreciate or, or glean anything from. And it's funny because you look a lot of these, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, new prog or or neo progressive rock, and you've got bands like Lightning Bolt. Um, you could even throw in what what might be categorized as like Japanese noise rock with bands like Melt Banana, and you know that when they play the song, it sounds the same every time that they play it. Like the, mm -hmm. they're, they know what they're doing and they they're playing what they're playing on purpose. It's not, they're not just randomly like making noise with their guitar that they're not planning on, uh, repeating or being able to, to replicate at some point. Right. Um, but as the term progressive implies, it's pushing the boundaries of what rock music can be of what it is. Um, it's not just, you know, play, play a 18 minute song with a few different solos and some key changes and some, uh, tempo changes anymore. You know, it's something else now and it can still be what it was back then, but you know, there's new definitions now. And so whether it's, you know, bands like lightning bolt or hella or um mars volta it, there mm -hmm. there's so much that you can do as a rock musician that you know almost an infinite amount of combinations of tone melody uh sonic differences it's it's you could never reach the end of what's possible yeah and there are bands that just continue to push that boundary of what what is rock music what is it and they just push it out you know it could be could be anything I feel like part of this also is just uh like i've never really been to see any artist uh, that you would qualify as like a prog artist or like the, the real banner carrier for, for prog. I had, mm -hmm. um, had a buddy who had an extra ticket, uh, to see tool. Uh, they had like rescheduled their tour dates and he was asking me if I wanted to go and they were expensive tickets. Like it wasn't a freebie. Yeah. And, uh, a tool is one, and it's it's funny because their discography is not deep. I mean, the, the albums are long, I know, but like, I think they've only got like four albums. Um, they don't put so, albums very often. That's for no, sure. No, <laughs> I mean, like he's gone off. Maynard's done like a perfect circle stuff and puts it for a few other things, but mm -hmm. he's uh, 
tool, it seems like uh, a manageable body of work where someone could go in and um, and just catch up, you know, yeah. and, and get into the mix and not have to worry about 15 albums worth of material. <laughs> right. But like I've tried, I, I've dipped my toe a few times, admittedly, and I just can't get there. And there's a part of me that thinks like maybe if I went and experienced it in person because it's obviously that curated thing you know it's obviously built for uh, with a vision maybe if i had seen it live um i just didn't want to roll the dice with like a 250 dollars ticket you know oh, but yeah. like but like i maybe if i saw it live i'd walk away and be like okay now i can go dig into this music because i kind of get what he's doing um but it I hasn't want... worked for you with fish has it has not but fish is not <laughs> see but i think fish is in that in that psych space they and i don't are, think i don't think they want to be considered a psych band or a or prop band for that matter um but my stuff for fish is like because i've seen it i mean i've seen the balloons outside of the venue you know people go there they get high and they have their own experience to the music and it's right it's a it's great experience. for them yeah good for them you know um but they're that is also completely based on improvisation. Whereas I know that a tool show, you're going to get the tool show. Like, I don't think they're changing right. the set list or whatever that much. Like you're getting the experience that Maynard has created for you. Um, I just don't know if I want that. <laughs> like right. I, it's not for I, everybody, but they are, if we're talking in the prog space of like yes. what I look at, in general and i'm like i wish i understood i feel like i want to understand better like i think i've got rush i understand it i don't think i need to spend much time with it i got it it's, it's cool. not my thing either it's not my thing yeah um but I you're like, right yes. about the prog thing with like if you go to a mars volta show mm -hmm. you're gonna get the mars volta mars more volta. or less how it sounds on the album curated yeah, yeah. very curated very precise because the and, visuals will be dialed in there too, you know. Yes. Like it's not just going to be like a, a lighting guy who's doing a bunch of stuff. It's going to be a presentation. No, that's well calculated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And that's um, what we get math rock from. And here's where it comes full circle: is you get um, these math rock groups like Battles. I don't know how much they're a New York band, so I don't bit, know if you know yeah. much about them. Um, but you know, they had their moment like with their first album. Um, but you know, the thing about battles is their music is based around loops where an inst they'll play an instrument and loop that instrument and then play on top of that loop and have these intersecting loops, um, which takes very, yeah, uh, just insane. You know what you're doing. It blows my mind. The amount of precision that that takes, mm -hmm. um, Preparation. because you've got multiple layers of loops happening and multiple well now they're down to two people but back when they were four people and then three people and now two um the more people you have obviously and maybe that's why it didn't last so long because i can see how stressful that would be when you've got four different people four different people playing loops and all having mm -hmm. to make sure that all of these things line up but um they had john anderson of G of yes yeah on their most recent album. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's pretty cool to see that, you know, uh, it's just a, a nod back to, you know, the roots of what they're doing. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Um, so I, I've, I'm seeing it come full circle where, you know, yes. And 
battles sound nothing alike, you know, different yeah. philosophies behind what they're doing, but yes, is still out there putting out albums. Um, uh, battles is still touring and they have a song where Don Anderson comes in and does a vocal on, on this crazy looping math rock song. And it works. It, it works really, really well. So it's, it's, it, I'd, I'd be interested to see more like, you know, more modern, uh, math rock and, you know, experimental new prog or whatever you want to call it and bring in some of these, you know, absolute, uh, giants of the prog rock genre and work together on, on projects and see what happens. I think yeah. it'd be cool. Well, cool. I think uh, I think the only other thought that I had just taking it away from the rock space where we spent most of this time, obviously, that's where this existed, is like, you know, it doesn't fully track. I'll, I'll give it that. But there is a lot to hip hop that is um, sort of ebbing and flowing or coming in waves akin to what naturally happened to rock over the years. Right. Um, and and I'm kind of looking for that now. And and in some ways it it may already be happening with Kendrick Lamar and Thundercat and Flying Lotus and all these other like there's a lot of really cool experimentation in hip hop right now. Mm-hmm. Um but there is a part of me that thinks okay, I, I I obviously wasn't born when this happened to rock, right? right. Um but am I missing it now happening elsewhere? Um and it does kind of it it's kind of, it's exciting, but it also like opens my ears to listening for different things because just because um, this happened and it mm-hmm. it kind of shattered and scattered, like it could be happening again in other in other ways. There's a lot of jazz influence. There's a lot of right. um, electronic influences that are happening in hip hop right now. So just putting it out there in general as, as like a final thought is like, yeah, this is, this is the trajectory that so to speak rock took. Um, but there's so, there's so much other kinds of music and they all have their own sort of peaks and valleys and shifts mm-hmm. between commercialism and experimentation. Um, just as the, as the audiences shift. And I think that there's uh there's a lot of cool stuff out there as well. So. Yeah. I mean, I might be behind the times, you know, I certainly don't have my finger on the pulse of hip hop or anything. I think you saw it a lot with Outkast. And I think, you know, the kind of the, I think that flows into what we've been seeing these last few years with like Run the Jewels, Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, they're, they're not like the most well-known, but people that know about music and love music, they're very popular. Right. And uh, you know, that they do some, some really interesting and experimental stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm sure there's new and, uh, upcoming artists that you and I have probably have no idea about that are going to be the next, you know what I mean? What, what outcast was and what, Mm -hmm. um, what run the jewels have been, um, to, and you know Kendrick is certainly going to be considered a part of that. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're but you're right. It's exciting to see um, what 
what other genres end up uh, branching off with and and being considered progressive in one way or yeah. another. Um, yeah. And sometimes, you know, you won't know what it what it what it is until it happened five or ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, sometimes it works that way. Um, um, we had a ahead. few comments from yeah. our community, right? Exactly where I was going to go. Um, nice. So we just put a quick little community question out there. I just thought it'd be interesting just because so many people have different um, definitions of, of prog rock. Um, and so our good friend, Seth from the all in podcast um, took it as an opportunity to talk about dragon force. Now <laughs> I, I knew almost nothing about dragon force mm-hmm. uh, before his comment, which was, which was only, you know, not, not even 12 hours ago mm-hmm. uh, as of this recording. So um, what, do you have any history with them or cause I, all I did was I put it on in the car and like, I felt like I was uh, about to face a, a giant mech in a boss battle. I mean, that's the point. That's the <laughs> whole point. <laughs> uh, I, a little bit, I, they came to prominence in the sort of mid to late, uh 2000s like 2000 2010 whatever we're calling it the aughts i guess um and all i could remember is just the guitar player is out of control it's Mm -hmm. it's so crazy i i remember playing one of their songs in guitar hero and being like who is this band and digging up uh one of their albums and at just being absolutely blown away by the musicality uh again specifically of the of the guitarist but just mm-hmm. yeah they sh- shred your face off they should yeah it's a shredder for sure but it's epic um, yes that's a good word for it um seth says they have clear dream theater and rush influences and he's seen them a handful of times um this isn't what's interesting. He says he's seen them in loud mosh pit venues like Ozfest or something, but I've also seen them in almost orchestral theater settings. I once saw them at the Wilma when we lived in Montana and you could hear a pin drop in there. It was incredible. Top five wow. shows I've ever been to despite how heavy they can be. They have such a symphonic sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that too is, um, you know, we were talking about the video game music earlier is it's like, okay, you could play this with an orchestra or you could yeah. play it with, you know, shredding guitar and it's equally epic in different ways. The composition holds, right? It's yes. like it, you, you can express it in different ways. You can orchestrate it in different ways, but the actual composition itself can be transit transferred to, to many different formats. Yeah, definitely. Um, Dan talks about having vivid memories of playing smash brothers melee with friends and having dream theater blasting in the background. I love that. <laughs> I love seems that. So very much. appropriate. That seems perfect. <laughs> I also feel like I should be playing video games with dragon force in the background. Absolutely. I, I was in my new metal phase when I was, uh, curating my Nintendo 64 gaming. And so I listened to a lot of Rob zombie and power man 5,000, uh, when I was gaming, so not as progressive as Dan is with his dream theater. I feel like that's, he's a little more elevated than me, but, um, but I can feel that like I 
dude, I loved playing video games with music on in the background. Yeah. It was my jam for a while. And Absolutely. then I was like, oh, no, these games actually have really good music. I should probably <laughs> listening to those. I definitely did the same thing for sure. Yeah. I there, there's a lot of there was a lot of uh, like heavy rock, hard, hard rock being played while I played Sonic three and Sonic and Knuckles yeah. for sure. Um, but yeah, but you're right. You're missing out on some of these amazing soundtracks that were, especially as we, Sonic as we 3. talked about very, yeah. very much influenced um, by a lot of these, these, these groups that we talked about. Um, and the last thing on SAZ on Twitter uh, talks about blue oyster cult, which we didn't really get a chance to talk about, but they're another one of those groups that um, very much fit into that uh, prog rock space, um, but found a little bit more success on the poppier side of things, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, later on. Um, He says, one of my fondest memories with my dad is pounding Budweiser's on the farm late into the night and pumping their their debut Agents of Fortune and Tyranny and Mutation, among other stuff. Uh, I love that, having that, like, that moment with your dad or, or whoever it is like, or with like me with my aunt listening to um, moody blues or what have you um, that those are, those are so memorable. And it's like every time that, you know, I'm, I'm sure every time essay hears blue oyster cult, he thinks about his dad and Mm -hmm. you know, like me, every time I listen to moody blues or I hear some moody blues somewhere, I, I, I think about, my aunt and the time that we spent together. So it, it can be really beautiful. And, um, you know, I'm sure that applies to any genre of music, but, um, I don't know. There is just something special about it because it's, it's the kind of music that you do just kind of sit and become very, uh, introspective and thoughtful about rather than it just be being background music or something that's playing in the car while you're on your way to go do something else. Yeah, it's not as frequent that you hear a great pop song and you're like, oh, my God, you need to sit and listen to this. Sometimes, you know, you'll say, oh, my God, have you heard that new song by Harry Styles? It's really great. Um, But there's a reason why it's these sorts of artists or the artists that are falling under this umbrella that have these uh, these kind of nostalgia points to them. It's because when you feel connected, like they do bring you into the circle. If you can feel connected to this music, you, you want to share that connection with other people. You know, you're like, Oh my God, Mm -hmm. I've seen this. I've experienced this. I feel this. I understand this. Don't you want to as well? Um, Yes. I I totally get that. (laughs) I've had those moments too. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I discovered the Mars Volta. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You, you have to sit down and listen. (laughs) Yeah. Someone's you like, can't you need get to it any other this. way. A hundred percent. Oh man. Uh, I think that pretty well wraps us up here. Yeah. I mean, it's on a this lot. Episode. Um, I, and again, like, like I mentioned at the beginning, I know we're going to get comments, you know, you yeah, didn't not, even talk experts. about so-and-so or yeah. you didn't mention this thing that happened. Or it's like, you know, first of all, you know, we're in a limited time format, <laughs> but also we don't, we never claimed to be, we never claimed to be experts. We just like talking about this stuff and exploring this stuff and learning things about it. If yeah. you would like to school us in any of this stuff, not only are we happy to be schooled, but you know, 
we will uh, retweet it and <laughs> we can talk about it on the next episode. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter at retrogroove underscore pod if you'd like to um, tell us who exactly we didn't mention that we should have. It's or- probably Marillion, by the way. <laughs> like, I didn't bring up Marillion at all, and they have, like, the craziest online. Like, they are the the most, like, kickstarted prog rock band really? of the past, like, 30. Yeah, they were doing, like, wow. fan, fan-sourced fan stuff on the internet, like, 20-something years ago. So it's probably... We're going to wind up on a Marillion subreddit or something. Oh, so yeah. Sorry, sorry Marillion. It's, a, yeah. Well, now I have something new to check out and listen to because I've never even go. heard of of Marillion. Sorry, yeah. Marillion. Man, <laughs> just pissed off all of the Marillion fans on planet yeah, Earth with one of episode <laughs> of Retro Group. Uh, but uh, anything, any closing thoughts, Liam? Or are we pretty much no? I think nailed it good. down. Yeah, yeah. I liked uh, having this discussion with you. It was good stuff. Same first time that we've ever attempted to tackle an entire subgenre um in one sitting um and maybe we'll try it again it, i think yeah. it, it was uh, a pretty good way to hash out a lot of thoughts about a lot of different things um all in 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 the span of you know an hour and a half um and uh, i had a lot of fun i hope you listener did too thank you so much for listening to retro groove we're part of the retro logic family of podcasts you can find us on discord on the retro logic server and as i mentioned just a moment ago you can also find us on twitter at retro groove underscore pod looking forward to hearing from you we'll do community questions always appreciate feedback ideas um, and just the the friendly discourse and discussion uh, but until next time thank you so much And we'll see you later.